So, hi, universe and world and uh, the beautiful people of Toronto and Canada. Uh, so, this is a podcast a series that we're starting, and my name is uh, Tariq and uh, Jillian. Right. So, and it's JT. Uh, Back to basics with JT is uh, basically what the series is, is about. And uh, well, I guess we're going to start off by just uh, briefly introducing uh, ourselves uh, and talk about what we shall be generally discussing. So, so basically, um, me, you know, I've traveled and lived and worked in different parts of the world. I, I was born in a country called Sri Lanka, which is um, an island near India and grew up there. I spent a t- uh, some amount of time growing up in the Middle East because that's where my parents worked. And uh, <clears throat> then I moved on to Europe where I did my degrees and then had my first jobs. And then, um, you know, London, the United Kingdom, Scotland, lots of hard work, studying, um, enjoying, uh, you know, life as well, I must say. And, uh, and then at some point I decided I want to explore America and then it wasn't the United States and that's how I first got to Canada um, with the idea of, uh, uh, you know, exploring something in between. And uh, it's been a very pleasant uh, move over the Atlantic, I would say. And um, since then, I've actually divided time back uh, in in the Asian region as well. But uh, I'm citizen of both Canada as well as Sri Lanka, and so and work has been in telecoms, in banking, uh, various industries. Uh, and um, Toronto is my home right now. And I used to live on the West End, and now it is the East End, which is uh, the beaches, which is. The most beautiful discovery actually that I've had because honestly I didn't want to live um, too close to the city and yet this and this has been the perfect balance of almost being like a little little uh, town which is part of the city but yet it seems to retain its own charms I'm really happy to be here for the last uh, couple of years and uh, really enjoying myself I've had I've, I've been an active social media person and uh, I guess Jillian uh, and I have been exchanging a lot of information there or rather and we've been having a lot of people commenting on the things that we've written about as well and then uh, also the we've come together to simplify the narrative so so that's um, something about me i guess uh, the travels and uh, being I, I i i am a technologist and uh, all of that but i'm seeking now for i guess to understand life more, more from a uh, a perspective of sustainability and uh, uh, what are the things that matter in terms of how we can go forward so so that's just a little bit about me and i'll just turn it over to Julian. Uh, so uh, my name is Jillian Bunting, and I was born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Uh, neither of my parents were born in Canada. My father was born in South Africa, and my mother was born in Washington, D.C. Um, how my parents met is that my father's side of the family has deep roots in the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. They were some of the white people Um, sort of taking part in the fight against the white supremacist government at the time. And both of my grandparents were 
imprisoned and blacklisted and eventually faced exile, um, I believe in 1965. They were kicked out of South Africa and they sought refuge uh, through the African National Congress in London, England. So my father was left behind to finish high school and his younger brother and sister uh, and the, his parents went to London and settled there. So after my dad uh, graduated from high school, he went to Sussex University and uh, he met my mother whose father was doing a one year sabbatical of teaching and you know fell in love with the professor's daughter and he thought you know I don't have roots in London and I don't I'm not allowed to go back home so why not head to Canada and start a life um, he studied biochemistry and he uh, spent a lot of time um, at the University of Toronto and also Senator Hospital here in Toronto um, and so I spent my formative years just in and around uh, East York I am East Yorker uh, through and through. Uh, yeah, and so, you know, I grew up in a fairly affluent community called Eastside, um, and I just kind of stuck out because I just, you know, we didn't have um, the same upbringing as some of the people in Toronto. Uh, you know, we weren't religious. We were, my father was a card carrying communist, but not the kind of communist that makes people uncomfortable. Um, I learned at a very young age that, you know, that word is a, is a trigger for some people and they have a hard time understanding um, the different types of communism and what it means. So at 13, I just realized that I was a complete outsider um, in Leaside because I, you know, wasn't Protestant or an Anglican or like any kind, any kind of Christian really. And I realized that, you know, we, we live in that kind of society or at least we did back in East York in the early uh, 1990s. So a lot has changed since then. Toronto has, has come a long way since then. Uh, it's it's just, you know, blown up as a city. Um, so many different cultures have sort of infiltrated and makes it kind of the amazing city that it is today. Um, but I think on a global scale, there's sort of this constant push-pull when, you know, old meets new. Um, and there's sort of that we can learn from these experiences. So I set, I set out to travel the, the world when I was about, I want to say when I was 17, I just, all I wanted to do was leave Toronto and go and explore other places. Uh, I worked um, in Vancouver in the film industry, and then I also uh, worked in the Philippines for a studio there. And what I discovered when I went and worked for, the, for that film studio is the massive divide between me and the local workers that were in the Philippines. So, for example, the first day that I arrived there, they all, uh, all the local crew had rashes and blood poisoning because the chemicals that they were working with to create some of the film uh, effects were so toxic and they didn't have the rights to um, proper PPE, which is sort of the, the topic the of the day, right? Like, where's the PPE? When do we use it? What do we need to use it for? So yeah, it just kind of gave me a different perspective of how different cultures sort of uh, sort of operate and how they're treated. Um, and I, you know, spent a lot of time in India, uh, again, just trying to find work. And I traveled all over the US on my own, mostly, uh, driving my 93 Geo. 
and just kind of discovered all these different communities. Um, you know, state to state, uh, things are so different and it's such a different culture just south of the border um, as it is sort of in all other countries. So to me, like, I feel very lucky to be Canadian um, and I, I'm sort of trying to use my experiences to, again, sort of address some issues of sustainability that we're finding in our culture, right? Like, why are we flying all over the world um, for work when really we can find work in our backyard? And why are we spending a whole bunch of resources and time and money uh, when we could, we could think about, you know, thinking about more local solutions to some of the issues that we're facing today? So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm trying to make uh, good, like, sort of good changes to our current setup in society because I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Great. So perfect. Wonderful. <laughs> and so I guess, um, and what, what we are really also trying to do is simplify the conversation, simplify the narrative and just, you know, discuss some of the things that really matter because what we've discovered is that social media is actually quite a noisy place and it's got a lot of commentary and it seems to have a lot of negativity too I must say sadly speaking and the podcasting is sort of our way to simplify the conversation almost uh, and potentially you know have uh, more people you know maybe who identify with our way of looking at things and I call it our why but I think as you go through life what's important is to understand your why and to connect your why and uh, you know what's right for you and it does and sometimes you know there could be right people who are not right for you it's also about knowing that right not sustainability is also about maintaining your energy and not getting depleted and figuring out who drains you and and is that good for you and just having consciousness around all those things, right? And so, yeah, and thinking about how you're spending your energy and your resources and how much money do you really need to be happy and all of that, those kinds of questions that I think, you know, if you really need to be spending, you know, a million dollars on a home in today's society, is that really something that's realistic, right? Correct. And so personal expectation and, you know, setting, setting goals is uh, – part of it, what defines uh, being content. And then, of course, you know, we can't deny that, you know, the world, you know, has a lot of change going on and driven maybe uh, maybe faster by, you know, all the tools and the technologies which seem to be going at an exponential rate. But, but then human life is a constant. Honestly, I feel that, you know, human beings aspire to basic things. They always have, I mean, aspire to you know, shelter, food, companionship, uh, uh, you know, and uh, good health and, uh, you know, so I don't think that's changed as such. And then we live in societies that, you know, like you mentioned, communism and, um, and which was much maligned and then capitalism. And then the key question is, uh, is that at a good place right now when you look at the huge inequity of uh, global wealth? I mean, we... We have 2,100 billionaires in the world. We have 186 people in the world that have half the wealth in the world. So is that level of equity, uh, inequity and polarization of money something that is a good place to be at? And so then you have to ask the question. 
I think for me, my struggle with social media was trying to have the discourse um, with people that maybe don't have the same background or don't have the same understanding. And then they just sort of jump to all kinds of conclusions and, and sort of target you and make all kinds of accusations based on, you know, the, the, the 10 or 20 words that you've, you've written. Um, for me, I, I like to use the word, I like to bring up my communist roots because like I said, my, my father's side were members of the African National Congress, which again fought the, anti, uh, the apartheid system that was being upheld by the white supremacist government. So I, I have a pretty strong understanding of not only what white supremacy is, but also what, what the fundamental values of communism are. And when I bring them, when I bring them up, I, I was attacked because the C word is such a loaded word and people confuse communism with totalitarian communism and they don't understand the different types and the different examples throughout history because to be honest, um, Western culture doesn't want people to understand the different um, sects of communism that have, that have transpired. So when having to, uh, these conversations or trying to have these conversations about communism versus capitalism can we look at both of them and see their flaws and their and their you know the pros and their cons and discuss them in a healthy environment uh, on social media the answer is no you cannot have these discussions because people are so sort of one-sided about arguments now what i liked about Tarek is that he is open to both sides of the argument and i am also open to both sides of the argument so i'm not speaking from a place of this is a perfect system this is a horrible system I'm more interested in the discourse of talking about uh, the pros and cons of all kinds of systems that we can come up with ourselves. And I think what we've realized is that if COVID has taught us anything, it's the danger of urban centers and that maybe the way forward um, in this capitalist society where you have to be rich to own a house or any kind of property in Toronto or in a big city, maybe the answer is trying to find a more sustainable community. And, and that's sort of where we ended up because there's there's a lot of problems in today's current system. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I've been watching Canada over the last couple of years and um, I, I'm almost sort of getting disappointed, to be honest with you, because I think on, on the one hand, it is uh, uh, the second largest country in the world in terms of land. Now, it has about 38 million people, which is not a lot of people. And granted, it runs one of the best immigration programs in the world in terms of, at least in terms of the process. And 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 also, I would, would say that it is a country that is very good at trying to fit in people who arrive because it is also focused on sort of the skills that you have and the effort that you can put in. So uh, provided, you know, you, you're willing to table that, I think it is, it is one of the countries that really reserves uh, judgment on everything else, okay? Like you're not judged by your accent or generally not, right? I mean, this is, this is I think, as places go, it is one of the – so the, these are the real positives I feel about Canada and Toronto. I'm not trying to paint it as a perfect place, but I think it's got a lot of right things going on in that sense. Okay. I think Canadians are more more accepting of newcomers than possibly you know 90% of other countries out there. And you know, immigration in Toronto is what makes Toronto such a vibrant place. Um, but you know, at the same time, I've always said you know Toronto's kind of full. Like we might want to start looking at 
other places in Canada, um, other communities in Canada where immigrants can can settle and actually thrive. Because my feeling is that you have all of these immigrants coming and some of them have doctorates and pharmaceutical degrees and all kinds of education and they show up there and Canada doesn't recognize their education and they end up driving cabs. I don't think that that is a productive system when it comes to uh, you know our, our immigration policies. I think it would be a lot uh, more beneficial to everybody if we brought in people and gave them some sort of system that that empowered them and and recognized their education and maybe gave them you know an option other than oh you have to go back to school for four years and sink a hundred thousand dollars into debt and start all over again. Like I've seen that so many times. And at the same time, if you come here and you're 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 in the trades or you have some kind of skill, well, chances are there's tons of competition in Toronto. You know, you want to build a home in Toronto, forget it. You, there, there's just thousands and thousands of people who've been doing it for 30 years ahead of you, um, and it's competitive. It's just so competitive. So I think that when you look at the the Portuguese immigrants and the Greek immigrants and the Italian immigrants that came in Toronto, they built all homes in the city and they thrived as as a community. I don't see the same thing happening in 2020 anymore. And we need to figure out how to uh, get people, you know, more opportunities when they come here so that they're not working in a kitchen for 14 months an hour. Absolutely. I mean, those are very valid co comments. And I think, uh, I think it also depends on like which area, like medicine, like you said, for doctors to certify, it seems to be a, a harder process. And there are other areas like engineering and accountancy where perhaps the transition may be a little bit easier, uh, I feel. But um, and so I guess, but like to your point of taking highly trained and certified people into this country and then making them settle for much lower jobs like driving cabs or whatever is like doesn't serve either end of the the equation right yeah i don't yeah. think it serves canada and i don't think it serves those people either so i think uh, you know perhaps more work needs to go into figuring out that uh, equation although all that being said i mean i do think europe that way to be honest uh, even though I, I, I question uh, the European uh, immigration model. Uh, I mean, I was a, a British permanent resident before I, uh, I I came to Canada. So I had actually gone through a very similar process over, over there in the United Kingdom. Now, um, I would say it's a less of a, a linear process in Europe. But that being said, I think like they do fit in the people a lot faster once they decide that they want you. Like So, for example, I think in medicine, it's easier for doctors who trained, let's say, in the Commonwealth to gain jobs in hospitals in the United Kingdom. So there is some level of recognition of, you know, Commonwealth training and experience. And so I think the starting point for some of those people is way ahead uh, in terms of, you know, bootstrapping their career in, in the new environment. I mean, even if they have to go down, it's not like they end up, you know, driving a cab, you know. So I think 
you know, there's something about the European model I, I have a lot of respect for. I mean, Europe is by no means a perfect place from my perspective, because I think it, it does. It is a place that does a lot of things amazingly well, but it also carries a lot of history and a lot of, um, I would say, stereotyping. Or So you need to be prepared for both ends of the spectrum. At least I, I had to be uh, having spent the time I spent there. But that being said, uh, there were a lot of, I think, I think how the Europeans look at life is they, they, they are very practical, more so than any other part of the world. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, uh, uh, they, you know, but, but they, but they, you know, get their things done uh, uh, in, in a quick and haphazard way. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's uh, so, so I think they get things done more quickly out there in Europe, whereas I think in the North American uh uh, set up it's more structured uh, but you know everything takes a little bit longer and I think you see that even not only in terms of immigration but even in terms of you know how companies operate I think uh, European companies that have come into the scene uh, very late have done extremely well uh, in terms of their competitiveness because uh, uh, I think they've had the ability to move a little faster on some aspects of innovation right so yep so I think what our main focus with this podcast is to talk about sustainable living opportunities and what kind of roadblocks you you face in you know the Canadian market if you were to say try and buy a plot of land and subdivide it into ten affordable uh, house, houses outside of any urban center. Obviously, we're looking at you know sort of rem a, a remote location, but you know, I know a little bit about building codes in Ontario and tearing on warranties and sort of permits and all of these blockades um, that make it harder for, you know, an average person to to undertake a project of that size. So the idea is to maybe get some feedback uh, about, you know, any knowledge or information you might have about what it would look like to buy a plot of land get a team you know get a community of people together who are interested in, in an affordable place to live long term maybe they have the kind of job that they can work remotely because if covid has um uh, brought anything to the table it's the idea that you can work remotely now if you have a certain job not all jobs but a lot of them so that gives opportunity for people that normally were relegated to urban centers to think about leaving the city and living in a more sustainable environment so yeah, we're just gonna sort of spearhead the project, um, look at how much a plot of land would be, you know, in Manitoba or in, in you know Nova Scotia or somewhere, and then see how many blockades we come up with in the process of trying to, you know, maybe get some prefab homes and 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 plop them down and find sort of a sustainable community where you're not relying on corporate culture as much as you do when you're in an urban center. Because I think that COVID was eye-opening when it comes to this stuff. Absolutely. So sustainability, affordability, and uh, housing is one of the topics. And uh, I think, you know, see, the, the topic actually has many elements. It's, it's our food supply. It's our, uh, our way of, uh, you know, living, working, you know, uh, even uh, when... Uh, uh, taking time out, like doing more things local. It's like a celebration quality of quality of life. Yeah, the quality of life, right? Do you really need to make X amount of money to be happy, or can you take a slight pay cut and live a happier life in you know a more affordable environment? Right. 
So it's it's uh, you know reconfiguring the baseline of contentment on the one side, but then on the other hand, looking at the broader picture in terms of trying to understand the bottlenecks of what is causing these numbers to go where they are. At. Like for example, like you, you touched on housing, Jillian. Like the cost of a building in Toronto is about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, like three hundred thousand dollars max for a detached. Okay, and then you you find them selling at uh, like close to a million dollars like yeah so does that make sense like every business is entitled to say a markup of 30 percent or something like that a margin right but like if you if your cost is 300 and then you you sell it for a million you know i mean these are kind of uneven dynamics right and, and it also makes it impossible for a working class torontonian like me who was born and raised in toronto with a union job who makes, you know, a good a good salary, works 60 hours a week to afford a house in her hometown. And, you know, that's an issue of the middle class. That's a communist, like, ideal is that a middle class person should be able to afford a home in their hometown if they have a good paying job. But that's not the case here. Absolutely. It's a basic aspiration with which a whole generation of Canadians, every generation of Canadians aspires to. And in fact, if that problem is not solved, I think it's going to basically to drive people away to other places. I mean, young younger Canadians are going to move, right? They're going to look at this. And I think, so it, it almost takes away from this country. So if you ask me, well, oh, what I mentioned earlier about this, what's disappointing is like, I think the uneven dynamics that seem to have like sort of set in. And I think the conversation and the series is all about trying to just understand a lot of these uh, things and try to see, if, you know, understand what the possibilities and the options are uh, and you know to have the discussion on that and then at some point i guess if if we can pull together a broad enough of a a, a community of people like-minded people so that would be an extra bonus for us like you know in terms of gathering our vibe or, or understanding uh you know and also just giving hope to some of the younger generation because I can speak personally that when I was younger and growing up in Toronto, I used to look at those Victorian homes downtown and fantasize about owning one one day. And I think I was maybe in my early 20s going to college when I realized that that just wasn't an attainable goal. Right. right. And I had to literally like, ch like check my, you know, what, you know, my goals and my values and what's actually important. And I realized, okay, well, maybe I don't need that to be happy. Well, what, you know, what, what can I do? What else can I buy? What can I afford? Right. Uh, and the truth is I had to buy a cottage, you know, two hours out of Toronto because that's the only thing that I can afford. And it has offered a lot of happiness. So there is hope. Absolutely. And it is about hope. It is about possibility as opposed to negativity or, you know, uh, so so that's what our conversation is about and this is our first episode and uh so we just wanted to give you a glimpse in terms of what we're going to be talking about and uh we just hope that you enjoyed what we had to say and uh uh so and uh we we just look forward to uh discussing more about this right? yeah i think it's all about just having an open and healthy discussion and uh we don't have a lot of time for hatred and negativity we want to hear what ideas people have and we're both open to you know all ideas and all suggestions as long as we're coming from a place of you know uh positivity right
Correct. Positivity, yeah. constructive what, approach. Constructive approach. I don't want to be told why communism is this evil thing. I'm just really, you know, I'm not interested in having those kinds of discussions. I want to have healthy conversations about the pros and cons of all systems, all of them. Awesome. That's what I'm about. Awesome, Julian. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fantastic. So, um, hope you enjoyed what we had to say and our brief introduction of uh, both Julian and myself. And so please look forward to our next podcast and then uh, hopefully we will be discussing uh, another topic. And I'm going to break it down topic by topic. We will break forward. it down. This was just like the helicopter view of everything and we shall be breaking things down a lot more as we go along. So Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, feel free to chime in and let us know your thoughts and any suggestions you might have in achieving the goals that we've set out. Awesome. Thank you and talk to you soon.